God. Let's stand up. Father, we praise you this morning, Lord God, for your goodness. God, we thank you, Father. Lord, we want we just want to so step into your presence this morning, Lord God. Father, we thank you for Brian and our worship team. Father, we thank you for that you would just have anointed them today in such an amazing way as they minister first unto you, Lord God, and just the anointing, Father, waves of your anointing, your presence, your spirit, just going to fill this place, fill our hearts, our hearts, fill our lives, Lord God, we ask in Christ's name, amen.
banner over me, his banner over us, it is love, 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 his banner over you, his banner over me, his banner over us, it is
Risen and exalted one. Risen and exalted one. Jesus, your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit's like.
As the Spirit has led us for the heart to cry, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I feel it's so important right now that we look into the eyes of Father. I remember the first time I looked into the eyes of Father, I was blown away by what I didn't see. I didn't see anger. I didn't see punishment. I didn't see unlove. I didn't see resistance. I really believe there's a realm in the spirit that's open. When I looked into Father's eyes for the first time, I didn't, I didn't understand that they weren't, they were more than two-dimensional. Didn't understand it was a realm for me to enter. I want you just to look into Father's eyes because I believe that He wants you wants to bring you into Him. In Him. Let's just look at Father. Just look in His eyes. look into his eyes, I see some of you entering into a new place in him. I see weapons available to the right and left. Weapons to win, to conquer. Weapons to make straight paths to the Lord. I actually see hearts of flesh where there's been hearts of stone. That There's things that are accessible right now. Don't underestimate this moment. There's a grace here. There's things that are accessible. Just stare at the Father. Stare in his eyes. Stare in his eyes. see in Father's eyes flowers, yellow flowers for some reason. It's significant to somebody. There's a, a yellow flower replacing what was stolen. When you look into Father's eyes, no, no tormentor can go. When you go into Father, when you go into those eyes, no tormentor can go. No problem can reign. Inside a father, I see clocks running backwards, God restoring time that felt lost. I see the Lord undoing knots, what was 
what you were told couldn't be undone is being undone. I actually feel like there's someone in this room who has a, a child or someone who's incarcerated wrong, wrongfully, and that's going to lift. It's going to lift. see a bleeding heart that the Lord just waved his hand over and it stopped bleeding and became a drawbridge that was able to open up and receive God's love, open up to give God's love. You've been bound up. It's been bleeding. It's been bleeding. You've wanted to receive and you've wanted to give, but you just haven't been able to listen in a breath. God makes all things new. Get your new heart right now. Your fresh heart. see unity. Claim it for someone. Listen, it's in Father. This isn't of man. I see unity. I saw what was divided and divorced holding hands again. There's someone that's going through divorce, going through a, an unbelievable division. Right now, come into agreement in the name of Jesus Christ that all things are possible. I see unity. see portable steps that see these spiritual steps that actually you can just grab a hold of and put in your front pocket they just shrink down but anytime that you need to overcome you're just able to pull it out of your pocket and it just helps you to step over the obstacles in your way see an ability a new ability to overcome I see in your other pocket a rainbow. And you thought of it as just promises, but it's actually weapons. Each color, green being in the center of the seven. Green being mercy. You're actually going to be able to pull out the color green and stab people in the heart with mercy. You give them mercy in the spirit. Those that are running dry, you actually pull blue out of your pocket. You pull out the color of the Holy Spirit and stick it into their soul and they break free. says we're one season away from multiplication. Saw math charts everywhere. Math charts, math charts. Systems, structures for multiplication. Math charts everywhere. One season away. Do not grow weary. will stay with me in this place is uh, have you ever noticed that when you look into your lover's eyes you look into that spouse you, you continue to look in their eyes and look in their eyes and after a while you can't help but to see something different you, at first you start to see them differently you start to value and honor them differently but there comes this time that all of a sudden you just notice your own reflection in their eyes See, it's impossible to have identity without intimacy, isn't it? Because the real reflection of who you are is found in the reflection of Father's eyes. I believe that the Lord wants 
The reason why we're looking at Father's eyes is He wants many of us to see our reflection because you're going to be wearing something new, you're going to be carrying something new, and you're going to know that that's how God sees you. So I want to take just a moment, 30 seconds of silence. I want you to look into Father's eyes until you see a reflection of who you are. something new. Remember Ezekiel 2? The Lord spoke to Ezekiel and said, stand to your feet that I might give you my word. That was in verse 1. But before he even got a chance to stand to his feet, the scripture says, and the spirit of the Lord entered Ezekiel and put him on his feet. Listen, the things that you haven't been able to stand up in, there's a fresh spirit coming to you, putting you on your feet. God's going to tell you to do things that in the immediate you're like, I don't know if I can. And by the time the words get out of your mouth, a spirit, a fresh spirit of God causes you to stand. Love is on the mend. Division is on the end. Love is on the mend. Division is on the end. Love is on the mend. There's no seed that you sow in the kingdom that's not eternal. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Any seed that's been in him, you felt like the relationships were ruined. You tried, you tried, you tried. In a breath, it gets made new. Dead seeds in Christ are perfect candidates to reap a thousand-fold return. Unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it will remain alone. But once it dies... It bears much fruit. There's nothing in the kingdom. When heaven and earth pass away, the only thing that will remain in the new heaven and new earth is that which was in the seed, the eternal resurrection life seed of Christ. Your seed lives. Your seeds of love live. Your seed lives. See someone whose child or a spiritual uh, son broke a left arm. God says, go pray for him three times. Go pray, go home, go pray, go home, go pray, go home. God wants to do a miracle in their life. He'll change everything about them. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. It's good. If you will be seated for a second, I feel like there's a couple of small things the Lord wants me to say. Actually, about five, but I can't do them in a minute apiece. So, I'll, uh, you need some help, friend? 
<laughs> that carpet time's good, but you're getting rashes off of that. I, I felt like the Holy Spirit. I'm, thank you, uh, Bill and Doug, Pastor Bill and Doug, for giving me the honor of, of sharing. And I also want to say, um, Pastor Ray McCollum, I just want to pour out honor on Pastor Ray. Four decades. Listen. A lot of times you get at these conferences and you say four decades of, of ministry and people go like, oh, that's awesome. No, that's four decades of revival, funerals, salvations, betrayals, face stompings, victories in Christ, accusation, like four generation, four decades of that. Bam. So, man, we honor you. We honor you. And I'm sure there's others of you that have had four. As a matter of fact, how many people have been doing ministry for four decades? Do we, do we have how about three decades? Abraham, Isaac, and generation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob generation right here. Bill, you're not old enough for four decades. <laughs> All right, I got I to gotta move on. I, I got a couple of, I want to share a quick testimony real quick, and then I have a couple of things that I feel like, are super random, but I, the Holy Spirit might strike me if I don't share them. So um, a few years ago, one of our young men in our church, his, uh, he had to go pick up his sister. Her car was broke down. She worked at uh, PetSmart. I don't know if you have PetSmarts here, but it's just glorified, large pet store. And he walked in, and he was looking for his sister, and a man in an aisle was wearing those uh, braces on his legs, like, you know, the Forrest Gump ones, you know, the metal ones that go all the way. That's, forgive me for not knowing the correct term. And and uh, he felt like the Holy Spirit said, man, go, go pray for that guy. Now, he, listen, this, this guy had just gotten rocked a, a few weeks ago. He is new to things. So he walks up and says, sir, I'm, I was walking by. I felt like the Lord said I was supposed to pray for you. And do you mind if I pray for you? And the guy was pretty hesitant, which made him nervous, because this is the first time he'd ever prayed for anyone in this type of radical setting. And the guy said, I guess. Well, I think he thought he was just going to walk off. And about that time, this guy's name's Sean. He drops to his knees and starts praying for this guy and prays for like a minute and a half. And he's, do you know how long a minute and a half is on your knees in a store with a stranger? And nothing happens. Nothing. And he gets up and he says, well, you know, God can do anything. You know, you, you've been there, right? Like, man, praise God when you wake up in the morning, you know. <laughs> and so he... Uh, he walks off, and God says, I thought I told you to pray for that man until he was healed. And he really didn't understand that he wasn't supposed to stop. So he comes back around, finds the guy a little bit later, and says, listen, man, God told me to pray for you again. Would you mind? And the guy actually got a little offended. He's like, uh, and the guy's like, man, you know, I, I just really would rather you not. And he said, please, I know, I, I know this sounds crazy, but... God told me, I promise you. And so he gets down and prays this time for just about one minute, and nothing happens. He stands back up and says, man, I thought the Lord wanted me to pray for you, but who knows what God can do. So he goes to get his sister. They're walking out. They pass the guy in the aisle, and God says, I thought I told you to pray for that man until he got healed. <laughs> he walks back to the guy. He says, sir, I'm so embarrassed can I pray for you one more time? And the guy goes, I'd really rather you not. And he said, I know you wouldn't, but it's either you being upset at me or God being upset at me. And so can I please pray for you one more time? And before the guy could even say no or yes, he just drops to his knees and starts praying for him. And he prays for about 30 seconds, and all of a sudden there's a pop 
like a bone break. And the guy starts screaming, leave me alone, leave me alone. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Pop. There's another pop in his other leg. And a long story short, the guy starts weeping and crying, pulls off his braces, and a minute later is running up and down the aisle at PetSmart crying, saying, I've never ran before. I've never ran before. I've never ran before. Never ran before. I got a twofold reason for sharing that. This guy's name was Sean. I said, Sean, man, I met with him a couple weeks later. We were sitting down for coffee, and I said, buddy, like, dude, you're on fire. Uh, a, f a few weeks before, he had gotten, uh, he had went on a prayer walk, and he had got jumped by some guys and robbed and got beat up so bad he had amnesia for three or four days and went to the hospital to visit him. You wouldn't believe what, he, he woke up smiling. I said, why are you so happy? He said, I saw the Lord the whole time. The whole time I saw He didn't know who I was. I mean, when he, I'm talking in amnesia. Like, his mom came in the room. She thought, he thought she was a nurse because she had on a white shirt. I mean, and... Um, I, I started talking to him more. I said, I said, tell me about it. He said, oh, you wouldn't believe what he was wearing. I said, what was he wearing, Sean? What was he wearing? Lightning. <laughs> it's a good day when you've been unconscious and all you've seen is the Lord wearing lightning. Now, the, <laughs> so my, my timeline, I'm jumping around a little bit. So I had met with him. I wanted to meet with him to hear more about the Pet Smart story. And I met with him. And I said, Sean, talk to me, man. Like, you know, you've been coming for a while, but, dude, th there's fire now. It's electric. What happened? And he said, you know, Pastor Clint, that day you were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, and you just walked by as an example, and while you were talking, you just said, man, we just got to touch people because the Bible says you receive gifts by the laying on of hands, and you just never know what you're going to release. He said, I never really said anything to you, but when you touched me, lightning went through me, and I haven't been the same ever since. Now, that, that doesn't have anything to do with me or earthen vessels. But what I'm trying to remind us as, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no idea what it is we carry and what it is we give away. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I just prayed. I, I didn't even know. I, would, I really wasn't even praying or even trying to impart. I was just making an example, and lightning went through him in such a way that changed his life. I just want to remind those of you that are in ministry, so much is happening that you don't even know. The enemy wants to discourage us through division. And like. And listen, I've been in several aspects of ministry. I've been in traveling evangelism. I've been in all that. But there ain't nothing like pastoring. That is a butt kicking on a daily basis. Knock your teeth in. You got people getting healed on the left, people trying to kill you on the right. Man, you got to stay encouraged, right? Yeah. Those of you that don't think I'm being revival-minded, it's because you're not pastoring. Do that for a few weeks. You'll get it quick. <laughs> okay, so I got I'm a minute over. I'm sorry. I have one more quick. It's really quick. Um, about eight years ago, God showed up. I don't know why. And he immersed me so much in his presence that this is not an exaggeration. For three and a half years, I didn't leave the tangible presence of God for a second. Felt him. Felt him. Every time I closed my eyes, vision, every night, I think probably five nights a week I'd had significant dreams of God. I've got journals and stacks and stacks and stacks of information. And so I've been there. And then there was, after that three and a half years, about a year and a half later, I'm not depression prone. I'm not a sad person. I haven't been bipolar on antidepressants or anything. I'm just telling you, the spirit of suicide started attacking me like crazy. 
If I close my eyes, if I, I mean, I went through about a three-month time period. If I close my eyes to pray, I instantly saw myself shooting myself in the head. Like a thousand times a day. I went to my friends, uh, in, my friend uh, in Georgia, one of our board members at our, of our church, and I was down in his basement asleep, and I woke up, and I sat up, and I saw these little shadow boys circling around my room. I don't know if you've seen shadow boys before. That's, that's what I call demons, like shadow boys. And I'm like, I saw them with my eyes, eyes, not like with my, I mean, not, not clarity, but I just saw these figures. And I was like, oh, it's time to pray. You know, some people lay down, some people throw down. I just got up. Uh-uh. And I saw these things circling me, and I was, I was praying, and I was commanding the forces of darkness. And there was this one that just kept kind of lifting up, like the crowd, like this demonic stuff was just circling around me. And this one just kind of pop up and circle and pop up. And I finally just called him out. I said, I said, what's your name? And he said, I'm the spirit of suicide. We've been trying to offer you the master for over a year now. Um, it was real. And it broke. We broke down in the authority of Jesus that night. And I didn't have that thought again. I mean, I went from literally two or three hundred thoughts a day of shooting myself in the head to zero. Yeah, praise Jesus. But... I want to I say real quick that uh, I felt I couldn't shake it today that someone here is under the attack of the spirit of suicide. It's not you. He's trying to take you out. And I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, but I am going to let you know that uh, it's real. It comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And listen, we're not ignorant of enemies, but we just don't underestimate them either. Right? We know the devil can't kill us because if he could have, he already would have. But he sure can get us to come into agreement with death and murder and, and do some harm. So if that's you, if you've been having that voice over and over, I just encourage you, man, come to, come to Bill, Doug, Lakeen. Come to somebody, man. Quit, quit carrying that. Don't pretend like, man, I opened some door. Listen, man, I'm all for revival culture, but I've done both, man. I've, on my left hand, I've prayed for people to get healed that night. And on my right hand, I've had to uh, help people bury a three-month-old daughter for no reason. We went in. She was eight minutes and 32 seconds dead, purple, blue, dead, stiff. And we prayed and prayed and prayed for eight minutes and 32 seconds dead. My wife's here. She can pray. That little baby, after eight minutes and 32 seconds, <gasps> started breathing again. All the vitals went back, came back from the dead. And then we buried her three months later because she died again. So, man, I, I hope I'm not being uh, uh, Debbie Downer here. I'm sorry if your name's Debbie. I just want to say, listen, man. <laughs> Poor old Debbie. She gets it everywhere she goes. Listen, I just want to say, <laughs> I'm so sorry I went over, Bill. I, mean, I didn't mean to dishonor your time. Listen, I just, I want to, uh, listen, man, if you're dealing with a tormenting spirit, maybe it's not suicide, maybe it's a torment, it's like constant, constant, it's not you, man. It's not you. It's not you. And guess what? The authority is in the house to break it off today. Good word. Yeah. Good night. In fact, go to him first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Definitely go to Clint, too. Yeah. Wow. My, my. Holy Spirit for that. I'm sure glad you had the microphone. Yeah. Boy, that was real.
service. Yeah, how many really bore witness to that, huh? Yeah. I think there's more than one in here. I really do. I actually feel like there's several. And um, I fought that critter at one time. And I'm, yeah, not my personality at all. And no melancholy in my life. And I fought that critter. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we win. We really do. Big time. And so thanks for sharing it. Thanks for your vulnerability and, and being so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, wow, it's uh, so good to be here. Is this fun or what? Yeah, it's fun. How many liked that offering message last night? Um, I sure hope it was big. If it's not, you just keep giving till it is, all right? I found out this morning my buddy Nigel Desmond, he's in South Africa right now. He, <laughs> I wake up this morning, and the first thing I do is check my, my WhatsApp, and I get this message from Nigel, great offering message. And I'm thinking, how does he know? Then suddenly it dawned on me it was web streamed, man. I'm going live. Thinking. <laughs> I didn't know that. But. Of course, if you all know Nigel Desmond, that would be considered stiff and conservative compared to Nigel Desmond, who is a sign and a wonder. I mean, I, when he reads the Bible, I mean, he just goes into fits, you know. I mean, it's the greatest thing. I love it when he reads the Bible. All he's got to do is read the Bible and revival hits. And uh, so, anyway. How you doing, Nigel? Is this being live? Is this being, is this, how you doing out there? I can think. I've got some thoughts. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, wonderful to be here. Yeah. You know, just really, really paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying and, you know, with Joaquin and I, I just know this is what I'm going to share is what I'm supposed to share. I just, it's not just, you know, sometimes you think that's a good word, that's, you know, good message, good truth, and, and it all is, and I, I love all of it, I really do, but there are moments where you know this is exactly, kind of like you can't go anywhere else, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants you to share, it just so fits in line with um, really what I've been hearing, and, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, so, with that in mind, um, you guys ever seen, um, you know, they, they train these people that are blind. They can train dogs, literally. These dogs are trained to read traffic. I mean, they can't read the traffic lights as far as because dogs are colorblind, you know, but they can literally read traffic um, so that people that are blind, literally, they can take them across busy intersections and whatnot. And so... One day there was a man and, and with his dog and he's going to the shops and to the store. And uh, suddenly when he comes to a very, very busy intersection, this dog just has a, you know, uh, just, just loses the plot and uh, takes this blind man into oncoming traffic. And so it's just vehicular mayhem as these cars are doing everything in their power, should I say not the cars, but the drivers are doing everything in their power to avoid this guy and his dog. 
And I mean, there's accidents going on, and cars are going up the curb onto the sidewalk, and fortunately, the guy survives, and the dog gets him to the other side of the road unscathed. So the man goes into his pocket to pull out a, like a treat, doggy biscuit. Well, the dog and another man had been watching this whole thing unfold. And the man comes running over to the blind man, the guy, and he says, why are you giving that dog a biscuit? That dog about got you killed. And that blind man said, well, I'm just trying to find his head so I can kick the other end. I just, um, and, um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, you <laughs> can't kick in the right direction until you know where you're at. And it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people, they have a sense about where they want to go, but they really don't have a clear picture of where they are, you know. And even more significantly, this is where I want to go with God, but they really don't understand where he is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I'm going to share is with that in mind, my... um. My real purpose, my primary passion is to turn heavenly reality into earthly actuality. I mean, it's to, to live with God and to walk with people in such a way that we can experience and demonstrate the goodness of Jesus anywhere. I call it the everyone, anywhere, and all the time kingdom. And... And... Um, I'll tell you what, turn to Romans chapter 1 just for a minute. We're going we're gonna to look at Paul and, and find something kind of very interesting, something that often goes unnoticed. You look at a scripture and, and often you, you, you read it and it's great and all by itself it's loaded, it's full of juice, it can bless you, it can change you. But often there's a context. And if you'll look at the context... You'll, uh, you'll find something even richer, deeper, more powerful, more um, relatable than just that verse by itself. And like I said, here's a statement that Paul makes uh, to b the believers in Rome that I'm sure is familiar to all of us. And it's in Romans 1, it, in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, we're all familiar with that statement. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He, he actually makes an unusual apologetic. I mean, this, this is, in fact, what he's basically saying, he says, I'm this, and, and I don't feel insecure or inadequate in relationship to the good news. It's interesting because that's what that word is inadequate, inferior, insecure. I'm not, infi I'm not insecure. I don't feel insecure. I don't feel inadequate. I don't feel inferior in regard to this gospel. I'm confident. I'm comfortable with it. Now, is that just a random statement? Is that just sort of a, a, a thought that just sort of comes out of nowhere? Well, if we see there's a meta-narrative, there's a backstory, a story behind the story, behind the statement that really allows us a picture of something else that's going on um, in 
Paul's relationship to the believers in Rome. And if we back up, we get it. Just kind of pay attention to the language. By the time we get to Romans, uh, to verse 16, we're going to see that. Starts, say, start in verse 5. He says, you know, I've been given the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among, he says, all the Gentiles, right? All the Gentiles, he says in verse 6, among whom you also are. Then he says in verse 7, to all who are beloved of God um, in Rome, okay? Notice that. And then if you go to verse 9, for God is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Then verse 10, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Notice the language here. Verse 11, I long to see you. Verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I've planned to come to you. Look how repetitive this theme is, but I've been prevented thus far. Verse 14, I'm under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. Then he says in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. Very strong apologetic, a very strong defensive posture. What's going on here? Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentile world. He was known for that. Yet in all of his travels, he had yet come to Rome, the bastion, the epicenter of the the Gentile world. And he was addressing a perception, a, a, a subtle criticism or even accusation that somehow Paul wasn't as confident in the efficacy of the gospel in Rome as he was in, say, Corinth. You know, in places where there are, you know, larger Jewish populations, you know, that maybe somehow, you know, what you were, you know, this gospel message, this good news that works in Ephesus or Philippi or somewhere else, you know, it's just, it's not enough uh, for what's going on uh, in, in Rome. And see, Paul represents the apostolic, which really speaks of the farthest reach, the farthest impact of the gospel, of the kingdom. And by not coming to Rome for such a long period of time, he's sending, he's telegraphing a message of limitation. So that's why he's unequivocal in his statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now why? And he goes on to say, he says, I'm not ashamed of the... And he, and he not only makes the emphatic statement, the un, but he's unequivocal about why. He doesn't just say, I'm not ashamed. He says, why I'm not ashamed? Because that's just as important as the fact that I'm not ashamed. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Now, this is a big deal. He makes a point of why he's not insecure why he doesn't feel inadequate or inferior no matter where he finds himself. That word salvation, it's sozo. It doesn't mean just conversion and a a few spiritual disciplines. I mean, this is salvation. This is saved, healed, delivered, resourced. It's salvation. It's problem solving. It's any supply you would ever need 
in any area of your life. And then he goes on to say, in this salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed. So not only because, of, because in this salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed. What is righteousness? Listen, very simply, righteousness is everything that's right about God. And so here, the point of this is, see, Paul was making the point that, see, they're, they're thinking, you know, that, that Rome, their idea is just Rome is the big daddy. You know, because of its military prowess or its, you know, p- political prowess or, you know, because of how advanced and civilized, somehow, you know, this is just too intimidating. It's out, out of your league. It's out of your reach. And so he wanted them to know that, you know, his confidence um, in he wasn't confident in the gospel's impact because he was an expert in Roman culture, but because he was infected with everything that's right about God, and it was contagious anywhere. See, Paul was brilliant. He was a great apologist. Go to, Rome, uh, go to Acts 13, and when he was in Athens and Mars Hill, he was a great apologist. He had a great mind, but he wasn't coming to Rome with an airtight argument to convince the Roman mind. He was coming with an airborne contagion that could influence, infect, impact any Roman heart with the life of God. Now, this is why it becomes a big deal for us. This is why, think about it. I mean, how many places, uh, how many people, how many situations have we found ourselves in or with that just feels like kind of no God zones, kind of just has that no God feel to it. It's just like what lives in me is no match for what lurks out there. It's just more intimidating. It just seems, you know, this is just kind of one of those places I need to survive, I need to get through. I'm sure we've all had moments where we just feel more inadequate. We feel more inferior. Come on, admit it, and more intimidated. You know what I'm saying? Than other places, we've all had that. I I had a big one. Um, we we moved to Johannesburg, South Africa, in '86, '87, and and uh, that became our home. And we've been based out of South Africa for the past 28 years. And um, we started uh, at Vitz University, one of the main universities in South Africa. And um, and I met a professor, Professor Mel Siff, on the campus. Now, he was just, he was an encyclopedia on legs. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. He'd been on that university campus. You remember Professor Siff? You don't remember him? Okay. Um, and, um, well, anyway, I mean, the guy was brilliant, scary brilliant. Uh, he was Jewish, agnostic, but just, you know, like I said, he, had, he was Nobel Prize winning brilliance. I mean, he co-authored textbooks with Russian authors, would travel around the world doing conferences and seminars. And, but, I'm, but the reason we, you're going, well, how did you get to know him, Bill? Doesn't sound like you. Um, well, because he also was a weightlifter. He was a, a, a springbacker, a national champion weightlifter when he was younger. And so I met him at the gym. He was a lot older but I met him at the gym, and he kind of liked me because, I, you know, just being an American and, and uh, training and lifting. And so um, that's how we kind of connected. But I could tell 
from the beginning, this guy was out of my league. I mean, I'm not an apologetic lightweight. I mean, I know Josh McDowell stuff, evidence that demands a verdict. I can argue, you know, pretty well with the best of them. But this guy was way beyond me. And I knew it. And I, I just thought, I'm, I'm not even going to try to share with this guy. And um, I mean, I'm serious. I just, it just never crossed my mind, you know. And uh, one day, we're doing, um, we're doing an outreach on the university campus there at Vitch University. There's a small, uh, there's a big mall, and then you go into an amphitheater before a big swimming pool. And we were doing um, an outreach, a concert or something, uh, in the amphitheater. And there's these steps, just like 100 steps going all the way to the top of the mall. Uh, where the where the, the mall, campus mall was, and when we'd finished, I looked up at the top of the steps, and there was Professor Sif waving towards me to get my attention. So I walked up the steps, and I greeted him, and um, he said, Bill, listen, um, I was uh, in Denver recently uh, doing a, a conference, and something strange happened to me, and, and I'd like to come speak to you. Can I come talk to you about it? And so I said, sure. Um, I had an office. We had a, an office just uh, at the top of the campus, um, uh, a storefront office. And so I said, if you could come tomorrow at lunchtime. And he said, okay, I'll be there. Well, when I walked away, I promise you, I was half hoping he would not show up. Seriously. I just, I just thought, oh, man, you know, to, to compete with that, 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 you know, that cerebral cortex was rather intimidating. And... Um, and I just thought, oh, so I was half hoping he wouldn't come, but the fact that he probably would, and I promise you, a half an hour up to, up to the minute he knocked on my door, I was on the phone looking for some of my smarter friends, you know. Someone just come and join me. You know, I just need some artillery here. I need some more cortex here. I mean, smartest guy in South Africa is about to be in my office, and I'm not sure what to do about it. And uh, anyway, sure enough, there's the knock on the door. And he comes in, I, I, I bring him into the office. You know, he's got a bag, lunch, offers me half a sandwich, just like an old professor, you know. And, um, no, that's okay. And uh, anyway, so we sit down, and he begins to share this experience that he had. And all I know is that is he's talking, and I, I can't understand a lot of what he's talking about. Um, except I knew he had an experience beyond, you know, what he was used to it was something sur almost surreal and and um, and I'm sitting there trying to think of something smart to say I really am I'm just kind of running through the database of smart thoughts that I had gathered over many years of living and uh, and man and the only thing I hear is that the only thing I hear is ask him if you can pray for him and I thought to myself gosh that doesn't sound real smart but I know how to do that you know, it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, ask him if you can pray for him. And so I said, oh, okay. So I said, Professor Sif, before we just talk any further, would you mind if I pray for you? And he says, no, not at all. So I walked around the desk, and I promise you, this is exactly what happened. As soon as I went to, before my hand touched him, I was going to lay my hands on him. The Holy Spirit knocked him on the floor. Yeah knocked him on the floor. Boom, he's on the floor, man. I'm going, whoa, I didn't even know what to say. I just started praying in tongues. I'm For 20 minutes, he's on the floor crying, repenting, crying, repenting, confessing. I'm just going, I, 
by the time he got off the floor, he was born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Ask my wife. He became a faithful member of our congregation, our His People Church there, uh, until he went to be with the Lord uh, many years later. But uh, isn't that cool? Yeah. But but you know what I'm saying? But the, the point of that is, like I said, we... We have a, somewhere in our design, our wiring, our culture, our life experiences, stuff creeps in that makes us feel like somehow God just doesn't understand that. You know what I'm saying? The God factor, the Holy Ghost factor, the supernatural factor. It's like I was so embarrassed by this. Back in the late 1970s, they did a, a survey on university campuses, and they asked university students, Christian university students, by the way, okay, they asked Christian university students if God understood radar. And 70% of them said no. <laughs> you, know? you know what I'm saying? It's kind of they believe in God, but, you know, God doesn't understand microwaves, you know. We got some new stuff he's not seen before. Um, you know, I mean, but we, and so <laughs> we, we, I need to push this along. But Paul, Paul finding it necessary to defend himself um, really highlights uh, one of the biggest hindrances to us living a supernatural lifestyle everywhere, us living the everywhereness of his thereness, and that is dualism. That is dualism. That it is so pronounced. It, 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 we don't even realize it because it's so ingrained in our culture and the way we compartmentalize. Now, dualism um, generally is the idea that in any specific domain there are two types like in morality there's good and evil and human uh, uh, design uh, there's 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 body and soul there's form and function uh, in time there's the the finite and the infinite and that's not th- what we're talking about we're we're talking about the gnostic dualism um, that has has really influenced the church it's 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 kind of leavened the western mind with the the propensity to separate um, our spiritual, our supernatural life from spheres of our natural, social, vocational life. In other words, it's, you know, the, the Gnostics, I mean, they were believers, but they got influenced by the idea, the concept. They talked about higher reality and lower reality, and that the material world was this lower reality that God could not Uh, interface with. God would not touch. Uh, God would not connect with. That's why the Gnostics denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the physical resurrection of Jesus. And it's it's the whole idea of this is kind of God's turf, right? This is kind of God's zone, God's realm, uh, and this is sort of man's realm. And and, um, and it's, it's, this thing is so chronic um, in, in the church that Many believers, they're born again, they love God, but they live almost as functional um, uh, uh, deists. You know, functionally, they're like deists. Or even functional atheism. I'm not saying they're deists, and I'm not saying they're atheists, but functionally, it's like they're living in certain places as if God's off in the distance, not involved. Or they act as if he doesn't even exist. You know what I'm saying? And um, now, although most... Most believers, most of us, conceptually agree that this sort of Gnosticism, this Gnostic dualism is wrong. It's erroneous. 
but yet we all we we all sort of step into it. We we cultivate it. We almost invite it in through what I call hierarchies of preference. Hierarchies of preference. And it's basically where our experiences, um, our, our level of knowledge, our church, church culture begins to frame the how much of God. It really does. It's not something we necessarily even think about. It just happens sort of very naturally where the experience you had, it becomes common, it becomes a constant, it becomes a preference. And that begins to create these, uh, you know, these, this the, begins to determine for you the how much of God. Like, like God is more into our sensational worship on Sunday than our science workshop on Monday. You know, God's more into the, there's more of God in the mission field than, than there is on the sports field. You know, there's more of God in intercession than there is uh, in ovation. You know, God's more into the prayer room than the boardroom. You know, it's, it's. It, it, it really is a place where you know, certain, certain, it's true, certain activities, certain events, certain lifestyles, certain behaviors make us more God aware. They just do. And I'm not in any way insinuating that, that our level of God awareness is wrong, but, but thank God our level of God awareness is not the measure for who he is, where he is, and what he does, you know. But we, 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 get, we create these self-imposed limitations and parameters that happen all the time. You know, that's why I love, I mean, David had a revelation of this pre-Calvary, pre-cross. I mean, read Psalms 139. I mean, I love Psalms 139 where he says, where can I go from your presence if I go into the heavens? You know, so if I have the highest, most amazing encounters with you, there you are. But even if I'm in the dark places, in Sheol, you know, there you are. If I have wings and I fly to the farthest, the, the most remotest place on the planet, there you are and there you will lead me. There you will guide me. Then he goes on to say, says, if I say the darkness will overwhelm me, even the darkness is not dark to you. And it goes on to say that the dark and the light are the same. Now, when I read that a long time ago, that bothered me. Because I thought, how can dark and light, how can good and evil be the same? That's not what he means. What he's saying is that no matter what conditions you find yourself in, that, that he is undiminished in his nature towards you. There's nothing around you, no matter how dark, how damaged, how difficult, how destructive, that can ever diminish his very nature, his very approach to your life. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, that really is. That's, a, that's such a big deal. I mean, some people think, you know, it's just, it's so dark. It's just, I'm in such a dark place. Well, if you ever feel like that, when you feel like I'm in such a dark place, how can God be here? Remember, God got there first and created a universe. Just read Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, yeah, God gets there first and creates I mean, when we think about the, the examples that we have in, in Scripture. I mean, Peter, how many like Peter? I mean, I really dig Peter. I'm not saying he's my favorite, Jesus, David, then Peter, okay? But I really dig Peter. The reason I dig Peter is because, you know, he was a verbal processor. I'm a verbal processor. That means we get humbled in front of everybody, you know? We, we, we figure things out publicly, you know? So, and, uh, I mean, I had a, I was... I was speaking at a church many years ago, and a guy came up to me at the end of the service and said, man, he was mad. He said, I didn't agree with anything you said. And I said to him, well, that's okay because I don't agree with everything I say either, you know. 
And, but, but, but Peter, but anyway, so here's Peter. Think about it. Peter is three and a half years with, with, with love manifest. I mean, he wasn't with a man who, uh, with great love. He was with great love. For three and a half years, he walked with it, lived with it, just, just was in that presence. He's also 32 years old, which made him kind of the, the senior disciple. You know, kind of the, the leader of the pack, so to speak, right? Now he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And remember what he does in the garden? Think about it. Remember Malchus, little Malchus, the servant of the high priest, you know? Wasn't even a soldier. He takes out a sword and he slices the guy's ear off. Think about that. Let's just stop and just look at that for a minute. That's pretty sick. I mean, he wasn't just a fisherman. He was a gangster. I mean, Paul was a, I mean, Peter was a gangster. Think about that. I mean, you're cutting a dude's body part off, man. What are you doing? I mean, you go to jail for that. You get your body parts cut off. You know, that's not right. You know, think about it. If you see a movie with body parts getting chopped off, it's called a horror movie. Can you imagine all the other disciples thinking, oh, Peter, dude, what's wrong with you, man? You know, what, what ha- it's, it's dark. That's a pretty sick thing to do. What does Jesus do? He just reaches for and puts a new one in its place. Man, just as dark, as stupid, as horrible, as ridiculous. It's like fire the guy. Three and a half years, he still doesn't have the point. Glory shows up. Glory shows up. And it's really coming to a place where we, 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 we have to war against how things get compartmentalized, how, you know, I can trust God in this area, and yet I'm just going to sort of survive over here, um, you know, how we pray, how we believe God for different things, I mean, I, I've, had two, I've had two resurrections in my ministry, I raised two iPods from the dead, huh. have you, oh, no, I'm kidding, no, I'm, no, wait, let me, this, this really happened because my wife's here to tell the truth. It's true. This is not, in a, you know, this happened. She has this iPod. It was a few years ago, and we did everything for days. We tried to get this thing to work, tried everything I could figure out, and it just wouldn't work. And I suddenly got a bright idea. Why don't you pray for it? So I prayed for it, and isn't it true, honey? It worked instantly. It just, boom, came up, worked. And still works. You know, still, but wait, 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 we're not there yet. One more. Gets better. So anyway, I felt pretty good about that. You know, my raising iPods from the dead anointing. And uh, so anyway, a few months later, Amy Azar, anybody know Amy Azar? Tremendous prophet, great friend of ours, has worked in South Africa with us for quite a few years, close friend. And, and she comes to our place, I think it was in Nashville, or maybe it was in South Africa, I can't remember. And Connie tells her about the iPod getting raised from the dead. And so, and so Amy says, really? Really? And so she reaches into her big old purse, digs around on the bottom, finds an iPod. She says, man, it's been dead for nine months. She took it to the Apple store and asked them and, and had them check it out. And they said, lady, there's nothing we can do. This thing is completely fried. So she bought a new one. So she had a new one. But she hands it to me now. But this is like nine months dead, right? I'm not feeling so good about the nine. I'm thinking, you know, three days, nine months, three days. I'm going, you know, but I'm on the spot, right? I'm kind of on the spot. I must admit I wasn't feeling quite confident, you know, but okay, whatever. And so prayed for it, and it was came alive. 
came alive. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this so you can bring me your broken down stuff. That's not the point. People have done that. Keep you. Pray, it's about you praying, praying for your broken down stuff. Think about it. But see, people think, but that's too weird. Why is that weird? When we think about how much technology influences our world, influences our life, why can't we trust God with our technology? You see what I'm saying? It's just amazing how we think that we pray for someone's body, broken down bodies, broken down souls, a broken down marriage, but not a broken down car or a broken down, you know what I'm saying? We just see we've, we've been trained to think, well, that's just sort of what we engage only on our own. I mean, I'm reminded of, um, um, I met a guy by the name of Joel Clark, and this was in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. I was ministering there in the early 90s, and um, anybody know Joel Clark? You just know Jackson. Okay, cool. Good place. It was, a, it was a great place because of meeting Joel Clark. He was a Canadian living in Mississippi. And he followed me back to Johannesburg and became our youth pastor. And just did some cutting-edge, amazing stuff with the young. We just let him loose, and he did wild stuff. One day, um, he's going, McDonald's finally came to South Africa, I think in the early 90s. And um, he was going to McDonald's. He was on a break and, and just to go, you know, I just ready for a Mac attack, you know. And um, so he's about to, uh, he's heading towards the doors and he notices some kids, some young kids coming his way to just bum change or whatever because you have a lot of that going on there. And he wasn't feeling um, very altruistic. You know, his benevolent side just wasn't firing. And so he, uh, he picked up his pace so he could get into the doors before they got to him. And um, so anyway, as soon as he gets into the, into the McDonald's, he just has, it was not a condemnation moment, but it was like the Holy Spirit just said, you know, you can do better than that. You know, you can do better than that. He just felt that. You can do better than that. So he turns around, looks outside, he counts eight. There were eight kids out there. So he looks at his money, and he realizes he's got enough to buy eight hamburgers. I mean, not Big Macs, no fries, no shakes, just eight hamburgers. And so he... So he gets his ha eight hamburgers. He puts them in his backpack. He goes outside. When he gets out there, they've doubled. There's now 16 of them. Now, you've you got to realize, in the African context, you know, you don't get credit for attempt. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the people that don't get burgers are not going to be your friend. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to go, well, thanks for trying, you know. You know they might take your head off, you know. <laughs> I'm serious. It's just not a good place to show up with not enough. And so he's going, what do I do, Lord? And the Holy Spirit says, just hand out your burgers. So he starts handing out the hamburgers. They handed out the eighth one. He decided, well, let me just put my hand in one more time, and there was another burger. Put his hand in, there was another burger. Until six, not only did 16 hamburgers came out, when he put his hand in, there was one for him. Yeah, yeah. Now, this, this is not about God-loving McDonald's burgers, okay? Don't get crazy on us. The point is trusting him in ways you would never think of trusting him. You know what I'm saying? The nature of faith. I, I, I love. I just. I, I love what um, what Joaquin said about. You know. It's. It, yes. I, I love good immediate outcomes. But the quality of your faith is not determined by an immediate outcome. It's determined by the nature of the one you trust. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so, so even if people often think, well, what if it doesn't work? What if I don't have that immediate? It doesn't matter. Heaven always shows up where there's faith. Always. Always shows up. You can never go wrong. Faith is never wrong. Even though maybe the specific thing 
you're trusting God for, but the fact that you're trusting God is not wrong. That's a cool thing, and heaven shows up and blessing follows. It's such a big deal. But, um, I mean, honestly, e even the way we do church as an organization, as an, you know, organizationally feed, is it, could, is it, did they turn the air conditioner on? Is that right? Could you just turn, maybe turn it on a little bit? I want to make sure people stay awake, okay? Okay, a little, could, all right, I just, just <laughs> stay awake a little longer, okay? Um, but, e you up? Are you up? Okay, good, good. I'm watching those eyes. I'm watching you. <laughs> Pinch him. No. <laughs> I love you, my buddy. But even the way we do uh, a, a local church organizationally really does uh, feed this kind of dualism because we can so emphasize the location. We can so emphasize the location, um, the system, the tools that we unwittingly de-emphasize the rest of our daily lives. You know what I'm saying? It's like th thriving faith on Sunday and surviving faith on Monday. You know what I'm saying? The way we approach life is that the life is not in the event, it's in the journey. It's understanding the everywhereness of his thereness. You know? And so there are activities and behaviors in the way we do things that actually wars against it. And the enemy likes us to fall into that trap. I mean... E e even the way we teach Matthew 28, we teach it wrong, or at least we have a concept of it that's wrong, which says, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel, therefore go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. It actually doesn't say it like that. It says, as you go. The, implica see, the implication for us is, is out there somewhere is where God shows up and does great stuff. It's not about going out there. It's about as you go, as you do life, as you journey. That's what that's talking about. As you journey, as you do daily life, make disciples of nations, meaning that in every space, in every place, um, we're supposed to process um, a world with, with that kind of heart and that kind of mentality. I mean, it's, and I, I've, I've, worked with, um, I've worked with Christian businessmen and women for a long, long time, go all the way back to when Dima Shakarian was around and full gospel businessmen and would go speak at their breakfasts and and, and, and I love them. I, I, love, I love Christians who are in business. I believe it's so significant uh, to, to, in partnering with bringing the kingdom. I really do. But often, you know, and once again, it's according to our, you know, there are many business, many businessmen and women, historically, I know that's changing, but historically their idea of bringing the kingdom was having a Bible study at lunch or a prayer meeting in the morning. And sometimes, with all due respect, but sometimes that prayer meeting was little more than, God, would you bless this stuff we do without you? You know, I mean, really. In other words, well, what about his presence? What about the Holy Spirit and research and development and, and production and manufacturing and human resources and marketing and sales and administration and finance? You know what I'm saying? You know, that... You know, one, one reason why Christianity um, could give birth to science is because these Christians had a God awareness in all of life. Yes, they had some other blind spots, maybe politically or whatever it might be, but they had a God awareness in all areas of life. I mean, uh, Sir Francis Bacon, I mean, he, he was um, credited with developing the scientific method, taking science from the contemplative to the practical. He said there are, there are two books 
laid before us to keep us from falling into error. First is the volume of Scripture, which reveals the will of God. The other is the volume of creation, which express and demonstrate His power. Understanding that everything creation has been made by Him and for Him. Uh, I mean, Paul, Paul was owned and operated by this. I mean, he really was. If, he said when um, uh, he was writing the Roman believers, and I'm sure you know the scripture, um, he says, since the beginning of creation, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature has what? Been clearly seen and evident in the things that have been made, right? In the things that have been made. Think about that. Well, the only way you can find where God isn't is to find something that's not been made. Good luck. Think about that. That we can understand through all that's been made, to see and understand Him, God, His presence, His creativity, His brilliance, and His power. All things that are created. Think about that. The only way you can find a place where the Holy Spirit isn't is by finding something that's not been made. And in relationship to our life, no such place exists. Can you say amen? Even the way we um, represent the Lordship of Jesus. Because Western culture is very linear. We think very linear. So remember years ago, Jesus is first. You know, then, you know, your family. Then maybe your church or your work. It depends on what your philosophy of of church was. Remember that? But that is not true. Jesus is not first. Because the mentality was like, okay, I did my Jesus thing. Did my kumbaya. Now I'm going to go over and do my family thing. Then I'm going to do my work thing. And then I'm going to come back over and do some more kumbaya. Jesus, you're first. See, Jesus is not first in a Greek linear sense. He's central. It says he comes to have first place in everything. First place in everything means he's central. He's the pivotal point that everything is designed to work through and revolve around. Yeah. Even, you know, even the the primary purpose of the Sabbath, a lot of people really think, a lot of believers think the primary purpose of the Sabbath is I'm tired. We need a day off. Now, I'm not dismissing the fact that a day off from work, that kind of rest, that we need that. I'm not dismissing that. But the primary purpose was not about I'm tired, we need to just kind of lay down. In fact, most Christians misquote Genesis 2, 1, where it says, it, most people quote it like this, he rested from, from all of his work. You know what I'm saying? On the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. It doesn't say that. It says he rested from all of the work which he had done. In other words, it wasn't, a, you know, often we think, well, he just kind of, everybody stop, heaven stop, Michael stop, Gabriel stop, just, just all kind of we're in pause mode. No, what he did, what he was doing was saying that now I'm going to, the Sabbath day is a reminder now that you're going to build with me, you're going to build with him. On the, it's the centrality of his presence and his finished work. That's the point of the seventh day. That's why Jesus is our rest. You know what I'm saying? We enter that rest. We enter him that we're now living with him on the basis of his, the centrality of his presence and his finished work. Now, why does he give us one day a week? Because one day a week is meant to be a concentrated reminder that this has to be every day. He's not only central one day a week. You see, we need that. 
You see, he gives us one day a week to hit the refresh button. Why? Because so many other things become false centers. Our finances, our relationship, our education, our, our workplace. You know, they do. We have to continue. Why? The enemy's always trying to offer us a counterfeit center. A count, that's the nature of idolatry. A counterfeit first place. So that Sabbath day is to hit the refresh button that we now live with him from the centrality of his presence and his finished work every day in every place. That's the purpose of that. And it's amazing how, how we can miss it. Once we become a believer, the enemy has one primary strategy, and that is to make your Christian experience as conceptual as possible, as irrelevant as future-oriented as possible by convincing you that your natural life may be having a few supernatural experiences rather than, no, no, you are supernatural life that have been created to shape and influence everything that's natural. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a real big deal. I mean, one of the, one of the, the saddest ironies today is, is someone um, disbelieving in miracles while being one. Yeah, yeah. One of the saddest realities, and the saddest reality, is for a Christian to disbelieve in miracles while being one. You know, and you can look this up later. Dr. Benazar did this study. He, he looked, he did this research. He tried to figure out what it would take for, one, for like Doug, for Doug to exist without divine intervention. You know, a miracle is divine intervention into the natural course of events. That's what a miracle is. God's showing up in the middle of something and bringing change, okay? And so he tried to prove what's the, what's the probability that Doug could exist apart from a miracle. And, and, he, he, and, he, and he, the probability of your existence is non-existent. I mean, basically, the probability that you could exist naturally without the miracle, without divine intervention, is equivalent to two and a half million people. They all have one dice. And each dice has a trillion sides. Okay? And these two and a half million people, with their dice of a trillion sides, throw the dice and it comes up the same number. That's the probability that you could exist without miracles. Even the planet, think about it. We live on a miracle every day. This planet, think about it, complex um, uh, life, this amazing complex life spinning in space where there's none. There's no life out there. Think about that. I mean, Dr. Hugh Ross did this mathematical computation. He looked at the 123, there's probably like 170, but he took 123 parameters that were necessary for life to exist on the planet so we could exist. In other words, how could life, what's the probability? Well, the probability was 1 in 10 to 360th power. Now, to give you an idea how much that is, in the known universe, there's only 10 to the 80th power atoms. You know the little critters? You know those little fellows called atoms, A-T-O-M-S? Yeah. There's only 10 to the 80th power. I mean, it's, you, we live on a miracle. You know what I'm saying? This, we, we don't even realize it. Spinning in space is a miracle. Signs and wonders are all around us. The problem isn't no miracles. The problem is not noticing. Yeah, that's the real big problem. That's the biggest problem. 
how, who, who here, you, there's a place in your life, and I'll close with this. I've actually got a couple more minutes. That's rare. Um, uh, what's that? It is. Oh, yeah, I shared about that time miracle. Well, we'll save that for later. But um, how many of us, we have, there are some places, there are some places we reason and we process life apart from the reality of who he is, what he does, who we are, and what he does with us. I mean, I, just one last, one last quick story, and we'll, we'll pray. I, uh, there's a place right outside Stellenbosch, another town called Stellenbosch. They have a great university, and, and we lived there for a season, and we're helping a church out, and I was house-sitting for a friend of ours. Had a little wine farm, you know. They all suffer for the, on the mission field and house-sit this wine farm, you know. I mean, it was stunning, just me and the wine farm. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, good wine. Um, and uh, they were gone for about five days. Anyway, they had this microwave from outer space, I mean, or from hell. It was just... I could not, it was one of those microwaves that kind of does everything, confection oven, you know, I mean, just so fancy, you know, do the dishes, whatever. And, um, and I, I could, and it had different symbols I'd never seen before. That's why I said, it's, you, are an, you are a microwave from out of space, because it had symbols I couldn't recognize. Now, I, I've been around microwaves for a long time. I mean, I, I can figure out pretty much how things work, and I could not get this thing to work for me. And... Um, Anyway, the, about the last day before they're to come home, I have my last, you know, uh, Starbucks, instant Starbucks coffee, and sometimes I bring it back with me from the States to South Africa, and, and I had my last little packet of uh, instant coffee from Starbucks. And so, um, anyway, I, I, I heated up the water in the teapot and got out my cup and put the coffee in the cup and, and uh, put the hot water in and mixed it up and just about ready to dive into my last cup, and uh, the phone rang. I got a call and probably went on for about 15, 20 minutes. And then when I went back to my coffee, it was lukewarm. You know, it was, I mean, not cold yet, but lukewarm. Now, listen, I love coffee, but I, you know, it's like lukewarm Christians. It just doesn't work, you know. I mean, I do not drink, I don't drink iced coffee. I don't get iced coffee. There's something that's, what is that? You know, there's something, you know, iced coffee, you know. Anyway, I could never... And lukewarm's almost as bad. I do not drink lukewarm coffee, but I do not throw away my last cup. And so all of a sudden, it's the microwave. And I'm, no way, man. I mean, this thing has been schooling me all week, man. I mean, it has just smacked me around. I wasn't even going to try the microwave because I failed continually to figure it out. So I'm thinking, what can I do? I actually thought about boiling it on the stove. But I realized, ooh, that would taste terrible. I mean, that would be so nasty. And if any of my coffee friends knew that I did that, I would be ousted from the coffee fraternal. And I'm a big coffee guy. And so, so all of a sudden, I'm standing there thinking, what do I do? And I have this sort of, this light bulb sort of aha moment, you know. It's like, wait a minute. God knows how you work. And that's what I, I suddenly had that great thought. God knows how you work. I promise you this is what happened. I promise. I'm not not embellishing this at all. This is what happened. So I opened up the, the door of the microwave. I put my cup of coffee, and I closed the door, and I stepped back, and I closed my eyes. I said this. I said, Jesus, would you help me heat up my coffee? I mean, that's, that's it. That's all I knew to say. What do you say? You know, Jesus, will you 
heat up, help me heat up my coffee. I promise you what happened. I opened my eyes. When I looked at the, 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 you know, I looked at it, my eyes went to two buttons in consecutive order, which I pushed, and I got 60 seconds. I got 60 seconds. No, really. I mean, man, I was almost slayed in the spirit. I'm serious. The wind of glory. I mean, I've seen God. I'm serious. I'm serious. I literally almost, I fell back. I went back. There was, I was caught by the stove. It was like, whoa, man. There was so much anointing on that moment, that revelation. I mean, I've seen God give people brand new hearts instantly, cured of, and I'm not saying that coffee is more important, but the point of this, this is, this, this is what blew my mind. This is what blew my mind is that the God of the universe heated up my coffee, man. There's nothing insignificant about your life. Everything about your life is important and special. Everything. He never pulls back. He never pulls back ever. Now, how many of us, how, how many of us, probably all of us in one way or another have those kind of, we don't, th maybe, maybe not conceptually. Conceptually, it's all God's, but in practice. In our behaviors, in our actions, do we really approach that as if the big guy's here? Do we approach it like Holy Spirit is, yeah, he's with me. You know, he's got, he knows this. Do we really do that? Do we, do we release faith to trust him in that situation? Or have we just capitulated? We just sort of accepted the status quo of that thing. And you know, there's probably at least one area in all of our lives. Somewhere, your workplace, whatever it is, where you're just kind of in maintenance mode, survivor mode. And can I tell you why we have to nail this? Can I tell you why? Because of the leavening nature of, of the enemy. Because as soon as you stop trusting God in one area, you're so close to doing that in another area. In another area. You know what I'm saying? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let that happen. Because God is good all the time in every situation for our lives. And so we're going to do, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And we, we got, we got to, I'm going to hand this over to uh, the chief here. And, um, and just see. I want you to see that place, that situation, that relationship, um, that person maybe that you're just sort of processing as if you're a deist, you know, as if God is in a distance, if somehow the, the powers of glory don't really apply there. They just don't work there. I want you right now just to see that place. Just see it, all right? See that area right there. Just see what it is and just now repent. It's not about sin. It's just about turn around and give it back to God. You know, your faith has been in the wrong direction. You're trusting something other than him. You know, let's just, just turn it around and say, wait a minute. Let's bring that back into the treasury of trusting Jesus. I'm going to bring that back into the treasure house of trusting the Father, of his goodness, of what he can do, of what he has. Father, right now, that's what we do. It's just a choice we make. It's just a choice we get to make right now. We take that area, that person, that situation in our life, and we just turn around. We just repent. Change of mind. Say, wait, ah, 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 ah. change of direction for my faith. Change of direction for my trust. Wait a minute. Jesus knows how this works. Ah, uh ah, -huh. the Father paid for this. Yeah, the Creator understands all of its intricacies, all of its design. He knows what to do with it. Yeah. He's with me in it. Yeah, yeah. Father, right now, we just bring it to you. Right now. Just do that. Do that in your heart. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. 
because these have been places of disappointment. You're just surviving. They're a place of drain. They're a place of discouragement. It's where the enemy just slaps you around a little bit. You know, you're just in survivor mode. But as soon as you do this, often, this is what happens. As soon as you do that, your heart, suddenly you feel fresh faith. Suddenly, wow, you look at that thing differently. Whereas before you looked at it just in toleration and just, okay, here we go again. And suddenly, wow, I feel the breath. <laughs> I feel hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel the possibilities of merging. Why? Suddenly oxygen, the breath of heaven, the Holy Spirit just breathes into that place. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Holy Spirit breath right now. When we turn around and we bring it to him, there he is. The only distance between us trusting God in that area and him is in the turn. That's it. You just turn say, here it is. Trusting you. Here it is. Trusting you right now. Holy Spirit, would you breathe? Would you just breathe right now in that area? Let resurrection life fill it. Let the redemptive lens uh, be attached to it right now. We remove every other lens the lens of surviving, maintaining, just getting by. Lord, we just, all that stuff, we just remove right now the lens of redemption, the lens of resurrection life. Yeah, the kingdom everywhere and all the time. Jesus everywhere and all the time. Yeah, Father, just let us see, Lord, that it's all paid for. There you are. When we arrive, there you are. You already got there. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit, right now. Breathe, Holy Spirit. Breath of heaven right now, bringing resurrection life. The clouds just being dispersed, the oppression, the heaviness, the haze that seems to be around it, the, 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 the weightiness that just seems to drain and pull down, being removed. Right now, right now, yeah. We are all in. We are all in. Every, all the chips are in, man, and it's all bet on his presence everywhere. Yeah, right there, right there. Just receive that. Breath of heaven. Yeah, there's that faith. There's that peace. There's some joy. You're feeling like, you're almost feeling like a, you know, like a bodybuilder that's just done weights. You're just kind of swelling. You're just feeling, mm, you're feeling strong. You're feeling some strength uh, coming into your, into your soul in that area. A, fresh, a fresh boldness, that's another fruit. You'll see some boldness. Uh, also some peace, you know. Just, oh, wow. This isn't so bad. God's here. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just stand together? Let's just stand. Let's just stand. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Doug, would you want to come up here? Just, yeah. How many, first of all, let me ask you this. First question. How many, just by a raise of hand, how many here had a place, suddenly became aware of a place, raise your hand that you needed to bring? Raise your hand. Yeah, 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 see? Yeah, yeah, more than one. How many had more than one? Now, how many, and I'm not doing, this isn't about, you know, the immediate outcome, but often that's, I'm just sharing the fruit with you, and you will get that. And if you have to make that decision a couple of times between now and tomorrow, then do it. That's okay. You know what I'm saying? And some, you know, the enemy, one thing, he's a loser, but he's persistent, okay? And, uh. But how many felt suddenly some peace or some breath, some life come back into your soul in regard to that area? Yeah, see? Raise your hand. Raise it up so we can see it. Yeah, see how that works? Isn't that yummy? Yeah, let's give the Lord a praise. Can we just do that? Yeah. Uh-huh.
your yummy sharing. We are going to take about a 15